Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Today is February 10th, 2017, and welcome to Voices for Racial Healing. Today, I want to I want to start out before I bring on today's featured guest, uh, Melissa Holman, who is holding on the line. I want to kind of run you through some background on this project. Um, Voices for Racial Healing is a new digital space featuring crowdsourced content ranging from original writing to interviews and audio podcasts with community members. The goal of this is to promote conversation, healing, empathy, and greater cross-cultural understanding regarding race in America and its harmful impacts. If you want to learn more about this project, you can go to the website VoicesForRacialHealing.com. Now, this project is a spinoff of a larger effort that I began in 2015 called Racism is a Sickness. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to racismisasickness.com. But briefly, racism is a sickness is a sickness is um, is a photography installation that I created in response to the um, growing number of police brutality cases that I had observed over the past few years. One um, in particular that stood out in my head was the case involving um, some young people down in McKinney, Texas, and a video went viral. One thing led to another, and I just wanted to explore the idea of white silence in the face of um, a number of these police brutality cases that um, got a lot of coverage and exposure on social media. So I interviewed some people and created a photo installation that traveled throughout the city of Philadelphia and got some conversations started about what we can do as regular people to get involved and amplify voices in response to what I saw as a growing trend um, of unchecked abuse of power. And who knew in 2015 that we would land here in 2017 um, in what I'm calling the age of Trump And what I want to explore with our host today, I'm going to bring her on right now, is what role does photography, and I'm talking about photography in all forms, and particularly that which um, has grown in popularity on Instagram, what kind of of role does that play in um, pushing back, protesting, and resisting what I'm seeing with um, the Trump administration. So I'm going to bring Melissa Holman on. She is um, the co-founder of a couple of uh, Everyday Philly, which is a um, very popular Instagram feed that is devoted to um, street photography, documentary photography, photojournalism that captures really the everyday essence of Philadelphia. It's going beyond the center city vibe. It's going beyond Fairmont Park vibe. It's getting down into the neighborhoods. And it's a wonderful um, curated collection of images. And one of the things that I like that they do is they invite photographers to take over the feed, post their content, engage with viewers, and um, you know really showcase what Philly is all about. Um, so I'm going to bring her on right now. 
Hello. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Tuska. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. <laughs> Thank I am you so glad for that having you're me. here. What's that? I am too. I said, I am too. Thank you for having me. Yes. I am so nervous. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so we're going to get through this together. This is, you know, this is the, the, the premiere of this, of this podcast. And I'm so glad to have you. And I'm so glad that I'm kicking this all off talking about something that I'm very familiar with. Um, and I hope that the introduction was was good. I don't know if you were, were listening in, but um, yes. I hope you nailed any. Is there anything that I forgot to mention that you want to mention? Um, um, we go back a few years, so. <laughs> yes, from the, uh, from the school closings uh, show. Yes. Everything, you know, you described everyday uh, Philly um, really well. I just want to give mm-hmm. a quick shout out to, to Kevin Cook, the other, um, the other co-founder. Um, who couldn't be here today, but right. just wanted to let everybody know that he's the other. He's the, yes. the co-curator. Yes, yes, the, that is correct. And Kevin is a photojournalist in his own right and has done a lot of really um, provocative work up in the Northeast. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, so let's talk about your work. Let's start, you know, about how how did you get into photography? Um, and then how did you so how did you end up with the responsibility of co-administrating the um Instagrammer's Philly account and then moving into the Everyday Philly um account. So, three questions in one shot. Okay. <laughs> um I went to school for film, but never really did anything with it. And when I got my iPhone, I, I got my first iPhone in 2012, and really mm-hmm. just I started taking pictures with it, and I signed up for Instagram, didn't think much of it, and then I just was like, wow, this is really cool. And mm-hmm. it just went went from there. Um, and around that, I was maybe going there for four or five months, and I was living in New Jersey, and I moved back to the Philadelphia area. And I saw that there was a page for um, Philadelphia region, and the person who was running it, uh, I think his interest had kind of tapered off, and several of us talked about running it and kind of went from there. I've been running that page, helping to run that page uh, since October of 2012 at this point mm-hmm. in a while. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years into that, I saw when I saw the, started seeing the everyday, I think it started with Everyday Africa, mm-hmm. and and then I saw that it was going to other cities, and I just I really love photojournalism and documentary photography, and I thought it would be great if we had that page for Philly. So I just okay. I started it, contacted Kevin because of his background and he has a master's in photojournalism. So. Mhm. So how what what are the what are the fundamental differences between the two um, accounts? Like if you could sum up the differences between the two. What what do you think those are? And since um, Instagram is Philly has been around for quite a long time, um, you've been able to observe it evolve over over the past few years. So, what do you think the differences are? Well, Instagram is Philly is designed to we feature a lot of people, we run contests, we uh, sometimes host instamies and we advertise instamies for other people. It's designed to be pretty. It appeals, it has a fairly broad appeal. 
um, give shine to people who aren't necessarily, um, don't necessarily consider themselves professional photographers. Um, it's, we, it's interesting because that feeds, um, the most popular pictures tend to be architectural shots. Everybody loves, you know, solely architecture. They love the landmarks. They love the bridge and, and, um, this, and city hall. Um, and, you know, it's, um, it's, it's nice. It's, it's, we, we wanted to have, you know, foster a sense of community. Everyday Philly is more about um, showcasing uh, more, allowing photographers to, you know, focus more narrowly either on the story that they worked on. Um, just, you know, it, it's, it's, it's more, it, we, do, we do allow people to do fine art photography, but pretty much it's mostly been, for the most part, it's been documentary photographers and photojournalists with more mm-hmm. of a, a narrow focus. And people don't, you know, we have people, teachers talk, we had somebody cover the DNC for us. Um, we've had a lot of coverage of politics and almost no pushback. Mm-hmm. And that's a, you know, as I mentioned to you before, that's a big deal. With, with everyday, with Instagram and Philly, it's completely different. Yeah. So what, so when you say no pushback, so people are coming to everyday Philly with the expectation that the images that they will view will have um, more of a social just, justice slash sociopolitical focus than just really fine art photography focusing on, like you said, the Ben Franklin Bridge, you know, uh, William Penn, City Hall, other architectural landmarks in Philadelphia. So they come to the page expecting a different focus. Yes, and that's, um, you know, I'm fairly certain that's why there hasn't been as much. There has, you know, I don't think there have really been maybe one or two negative comments on mm-hmm. Everyday Philly um, about some of the more pointed social justice commentaries. But um, Instagram is Philly completely different. Um, uh-huh. You know, we featured... We featured before Trump was elected. We mm-hmm. featured a lot of pictures from protests, BLM protests, and we had a lot of really nasty comments. It was, okay. it was disturbing. People mm-hmm. were very angry. People resented the fact that they were that we were they saw us as being political, mm-hmm. and um, had no you know <laughs> had no compunctions about telling us so. So give me an example of like an angry. I mean, I, I don't want to give too much audience. This is about healing, not about, you know, replaying. <laughs> but just give give us an example of, like, some of the angry comments that you've gotten recently. I know there have been a lot of protests in Philadelphia, and a lot of that has been written up in the press. Um, and a lot of – I know in my in my timeline, I've noticed a lot of pictures focusing on protests centered around um, – you know, reactions toward the the quote-unquote Muslim ban and the Women's March here in Philadelphia that took place all over the world uh, concurrent to that. Um, You know, know, when the GOP contingent came to Philadelphia, there were huge protests centered around that. So give me an example of some of the ugliness that popped up (laughs) on uh, Instagram is Philly in response to images that were posted. Well, before Trump, I would say, with the, with whenever we posted something BLM related, um, people would come on there and hashtag All Lives Matter, um, Blue Lives Matter, um, mm-hmm. the things that 
you know, trying to, to trivialize or, you know, deflect away from the real issues. Um, mm-hmm. People said we were being racist. Oh, that, that's always a favorite. So we were mm-hmm. being racist. And then, um, you know, just, just basically uh, get a job. Why don't they have a job? And just some other very pointed racist comments that, um, that were very, they were pretty disturbing. Mm-hmm. The, um, with the, uh, once Trump was elected and we started posting, it was very interesting. Um, I spent a lot of time curating images for the Women's March. I posted six images. Mm-hmm. And we got the most likes on those pictures of any pictures we've ever posted, mm-hmm. which was very surprising given the reactions to the, the protests prior to Trump's election. Mm-hmm. So um, we, I don't, I don't. We had a couple of negative things, but nothing really uh, significant. A couple of negative things about um, refugees, uh, people affirming the ban. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, the response was overwhelmingly uh, positive. So we had one. Pi- go ahead. I'm go sorry. ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. We had, this is just uh, fascinating. One, <laughs> it's just fascinating it was, me. Go ahead. It was, um, we had one image of a little girl in a superhero costume that reached over 3,000 likes. We've never had any picture reach that level of popularity. Mm-hmm. And the the vibe was, you know, pretty much, over, I guess, overall very positive. You know, few few hits here and there. We all, mind, um, we tend to, mind, you know, we monitor the page a lot. When we're mm-hmm. posting those types of photos, we know we have to keep, we can't just post and leave it. We have to keep coming back to it. Yeah. Um, but, but it wasn't as bad this time. And it's interesting because I'm heartened in one sense by by it, but I also feel resentful. I don't understand why people, well, I do understand, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, it's just interesting how people perceive this differently because they're seeing it as more of a universal struggle. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And People were very, if it doesn't affect them, people don't seem to care, quite frankly. And I find that very upsetting. Or they're more sympathetic to certain groups, other groups. So that brings us to, yeah, it brings us to, like, the reason why I wanted us to have this conversation. Um, Like, what, you know, you've curated a lot of images. You you co-curate two um, popular accounts here in Philadelphia um, that are focused on, you know, locally sourced photography. How do you think photography, what kind of role do you think photography taken by Philadelphia photographers will um, inform the conversation going forward about social justice issues and particularly um, the Trump administration? You know, I just... I just posted some stuff about Donald Trump signing the newest round of executive orders concerning law enforcement. As you know, the Racism is a Sickness Project kind of started as a response to what I saw as a a growing level of unchecked power um, by law enforcement. And so he's it seems like he's giving even more power (laughs) to law enforcement. And so 
my my feeling as a photographer is that there you know we need to be saying more about it through our our lenses and um I know it's not that easy, but I want to hear your perspective on that. Well, I I absolutely agree um, 100% uh, that we're obligated to. And I think there's a particular obligation with groups, you know, people going to groups that are not marginalized. Um, because, one, um, you know, I think that if you're in a group that is marginalized, you have a right, you know, to take a break from it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also safer for people who aren't marginalized groups to document it um, in a lot of ways. Um, just like it's safer for mar- non-marginalized groups to participate in marches, like we saw with the, the women's marches, there was a reason that was peaceful, and that was because it was a bunch of white women, and they're not usually met with militarized police like black women and black men are. Um, mm-hmm. But Sorry, I need to go off a tangent there. But, um, no, yes, no, no. I definitely no. think that... Um, we have we have an obligation, and especially um, I'm kind of like ride the I'm in a weird position kind of I guess because I'm a secular Jew, um, ex husband is is black, and my kids mm-hmm. are Jewish and black, and I'm kind of like in the mix of these groups, and I definitely have white privilege, um, mm-hmm. and it's much easier for me to speak out, and it's it's important for me to speak out regardless of my family. And, and my friends, but it's still, mm-hmm. I think it's incumbent upon us. Um, mm-hmm. We can do so with much less push, pushback. And, uh, yeah. But, and, it's, and at this point, much less fear, because I am really, uh, the things I'm reading, he is doing everything he can, the Trump administration, or the Bannon administration, I should say, uh, they're going to be doing everything they can to uh, stifle protests, to make it illegal, and to, you know, to threaten people. I know they have a bunch of lawsuits against journalists, I believe. Mm-hmm. Who, who covered some of the protests? Yeah, I'm aware offhand. Um, yeah, and that's that's disturbing. Um, I mean, that's not going to deter me. And I know, you know, just given some of the other photographers who have been featured on Everyday Philly, that's probably not going to deter them either. Um, but you know, when we talk about when we talk about photographers you know, there are levels to this game, right? You have, like you said, the photographers who go out and shoot beautiful pictures of, you know, of City Hall and of of the bridge and, you know, the skyline and, you know, trees and things like that. And then you have, you know, other people who, you know, who get a little more, you know, courageous when they push the envelope a little more and they may take, you know, some drive-by shots of people on corners and, you know, but then there are other folks who go a little deeper with it. They they step out of their comfort zone and they approach people and they talk to them and they they hear their stories and they try to make images that are situated in a, con- a contextual reality that tries to give a glimpse into the struggles of people in neighborhoods in Philadelphia, the joys that people experience. You know, just the the range of life that exists in the, in this city, and you know, those are the people that you know tend to be looked at as why are you doing this? You know, why why are you, you know, why do you care? You know, so I think everyday Philly is an important space for photographers who dare to go deeper. Um, 
But one of the things that, you know, we talked a little bit before today that um, that kind of popped in my mind was this idea that, you know, Instagram, you know, we're always curating, right? We're always, as photographers, we're thinking about not just what tells stories, but what's going to get, you know, clicks and likes and comments. And one of the things exactly. that I I kind of brought up was, you know, is it safe to assume that just because someone takes very beautiful pictures of architecture that they're not doing this work that I'm talking about on the other end of the continue and continuum that they're basically curating before they post because they know what's going to get clicks and what's going to get likes. And they may have this type of work in their own portfolios that we don't have any knowledge about. So like how does Instagram sort of, you know, drive that sort of push and pull you know have you have you seen that like have you seen like surprising like dark horse photographers kind of come out of nowhere with you know really compelling images when you kind of look at their overall page and they're like shooting beautiful pictures of architecture and they come up with something that's really profound that's socially relevant and it's like where'd that come from you know what I mean like have you seen that Honestly, not not too much. <laughs> most of the people, uh, most people tend to be kind of um, one or the other, or you know, there's a, a mixture. There's not usually just one that'll that'll pop up. I can't I can't really. I'm trying to think of anybody. Um, I can't I can't think of anyone offhand. I mean, I think mm-hmm. you're kind of getting at that, that we self curate based on the, yes. you know, I mean, subconsciously on based on what we think on whether, you know, also whether on based on likes we think we'll get. And I do that, I do that a lot with Instagram or Silly, and it bothers me. And something that I've talked about um, with Roland, um, one of the other admins, and mm-hmm. um, he goes by um, Rexel, W R E X S O U L. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, um, We've we've talked about this because we we get upset because we post a portrait or a great street shot with people. It's like if people if people don't respond and it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And we also mm-hmm. want to push the page. So sometimes if if I have a picture, depending on my mood, sometimes I'll just go with the picture I know is going to get a bunch of likes. Yeah, Instagram is silly. It's not. We're not. You know, I'm not always worried about. Depending on, like I said, where I am with things. I mean, right now, obviously, it's different because when there are protests, we want to. You know, I think the three of us now uh, definitely want to make sure that those things are covered. Um, mm-hmm. It's very important to us, despite the mm-hmm. admonishments we get. I mean, I think I don't know if I mentioned this to you. We had one person who directly told us uh, he, he direct messaged us uh, that we are we were going to lose followers. First, he commented and told us that, and then he messaged us. I'm just I just want to let you know you're going to lose followers if you take this political bent. Um, and you know, I don't I don't care. We have a moral obligation to do that, as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. I'm sorry, I think I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I think, no, I think this is important, and we have definitely the space to do that here. I think it's important for people to understand, like, the inner, you know, that how things are overlapping, you know, behind the scenes. I mean, you're co-administ- you know, co-admin on two accounts, and they have totally different focuses. And to hear about sort of the struggles to, you know, to meet the obligation, but then to also satisfy, you know, the, the, the desires of the, of the followers, 
Like how many followers on Instagram is Philly? I mean, just, you know, just the... We, we just hit 30,000. 30,000. That, that was a long time coming. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, we hit, we hit 30,000. And I, every, every day, Philly, I can tell you in a second, I think it's just over 1,200, which is, you know, it's a much yeah. younger scene. Right. I'm hopeful that it will be, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up. It would be mm-hmm. nice. But it's it has just, a, like oh, actually no we have thirteen we have thirteen thousand and three followers on everyday Philly. Okay. So you have thirty thousand followers on Instagram is Philly, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't like you can't talk about Philadelphia in this one dimensional way. You know what I mean? Like you can't just say, Well, Philly is defined by center city and pretty stuff. You know, fr- Philadelphia is is much more nuanced than that. And not only Definitely. that, I mean, just in terms of its historical significance to, you know, the country at large, and then, like, in contemporary terms, you know, a lot of stuff is happening here, and, you know, the rest of the country is looking at us. You know, when the GOP contingent came here, the country was looking at us. And there were huge protests, and there are continuing to be protests. And so, like, with an audience that large, you have people who are coming to that feed to try to figure out what's going on in Philly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just on Definitely. a general sense. And, and I don't think... sanctuary city. Exactly. So you can't just be like, we're just going to put up the pretty pictures. Because it's a, you know, it, it... Then that means you're just like another tourist feed. Like, you can go get that type of content from you know, some of the other feeds that focus on sort of touristy images of Philadelphia and the greater Philadelphia region. Do we need another yeah. one of those? <laughs> you know what no, I mean? Do we, 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 we definitely, we definitely, yeah, we don't. I, I, we, we have plenty of them. There are so many, and, and you know, the, the pages like Visit Philly, that, well, that's, you know, they're in charge of the works with, you know, tourism to, mm-hmm. you know, drive people, to get people here. And that's, that's fine. Their page serves their purpose. Um, we definitely have a larger purpose, particularly given the, you know, the environment. And, you know, truthfully, we, we had that purpose. I felt very strongly about it before Trump was elected. I felt strongly yeah. about it. Um, you know, as we've discussed, I pretty much, and I've, met, I've written on my personal, my Instagram account, um, you know, I think that black Americans have pretty much lived in a fascist state pretty much the entire time that they've been in this country. So huh. um, these things aren't new, and we have uh, more obligation, especially with us. We have we have a lot of followers now. Um, yeah. We're able to set a tone and make it easier for people to feature the people who are creating important work like this and um, help them gain more followers. Um, because I have noticed I try and track when we post and we feature somebody um, they usually do. I think they do get a little uptick in, in attention. Um, yeah. And yeah, we we definitely have a moral obligation to to see the work like that, and yeah. to show all all sides of, of of Philadelphia, and to you know just make things help make things better. I mean that's what the city is about. And people criticize you know part of also, you know, making the city better is we have to be critical of it. So we can't just show all the pretty stuff. We have to show the, you know, the other things that people might not always, you know, want to see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, the the honest look at Philadelphia as a city that is struggling with a lot of different 
social issues, you know, poverty being one of them, um, the wretched state of public education being another. Um, yes. You know, we have, we have, we're struggling with homelessness. I mean, you can't go to Center City and just not see that, right? Um, yes. We struggle with, you know, law enforcement. I mean, we, we had a mayor who ran on the platform of ending stop and frisk, and then he, once he got elected, he was like, oh, well, maybe not. And, and so, you know what I mean? Like, so you're like, okay, so how do we, how do we talk about quality of life and present city, you know, this city as, as, as a metropolis that has all these beautiful things and then conveniently ignore the fact that a significant portion of our population is struggling with quality of life issues that, that, link back to all of those things that I just ticked off and more, you know, segregation continues to persist in the city. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, when you talk about black folks living in a fascist state, let's just start with that. You know, there are places that black folks can't go in Philadelphia and live without, you know, experiencing like, you know, Jim Crow era, you know, pushback. You know, nobody wants to talk about that. We need to talk about it because here's the thing. As it goes with black people, it's going to eventually, like, trickle down to the rest of, you know, rest of the community. And we're seeing that now. Um, So I think that, you know, I really admire the fact that, that you're keeping these issues front and center not just as a way to differentiate yourself from the other 20 or so feeds on Instagram that have sort of that more touristy flavor, but, you know, also keeping in mind that photography can be used as a vehicle for social justice, even in the age of Trump. And I really want to kind of focus a little bit on that, but let me just stop and say this. I'm I'm new at this. Uh, you know, this is the voices for racial healing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you can call in if people are listening or whatever. Um, you can call in at 516-387-1796. I'm here today with Melissa Holman, who is the co-founder and co-curator of the Everyday Philly Instagram um, feed and also a co-administrator of, um, co-admin of the Instagrammer's Philly feed, a very popular Instagram or Philly, Philly feed. Um, and we're talking about photography in the age of Trump and what we as photographers can do to continue to speak out against um, a range of social justice issues that are probably going to intensify over the next four to eight years. I don't see him being, you know, if he doesn't get imbe- impeached, <laughs> um, <laughs> which, you know, I know a lot of people hope for that. Um, if he's not I'm impeached, really. Ryan. Well, yeah, like there are other issues to consider with that. So it's kind of like, you know, what's what's the best course of action? Do we try to have, you know, see him get impeached, only get, you know, the the more evil option? Or do we try to, <laughs> do we try to tough it out over the next four to eight years? I don't know. I just know that right now it troubles me that he's governing by executive order. It troubles me that you have, you know, quite a few 
citizens who think what he's doing is completely okay. And it, it bothers me that there are photographers who just don't feel obligated to document some of the more problematic aspects of what, what's happening you know, just in general and then more specifically here in Philadelphia. Um, so I want to go back to that, that point. Um, you know, we have, uh, we've been watching his appointees um, be installed in their various cabinet posts. We have Betsy DeVos, who was just sworn uh, secretary of education. We have Jeff Sessions, who was just, uh, you know, sworn in or, you know, confirmed as uh, attorney general, which is frightening. <laughs> it's the Grand um, Dragon. Secretary. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. so, you know, the list goes on and on, right? So we're, it's just like if you can't believe what he said during the campaign. You can only go by what he's doing. Like the campaign means nothing. Like I don't even want to talk about the campaign. So like as a photographer, I'm gearing up to be shooting on the streets, like what's happening in real time as a result of the, the policies that these people are going to be putting forth. And like the idea that there's a space that'll be receptive to sharing those images, an audience that'll be receptive to talking about those images, that's great. But like to me, is that speaking to the choir? Like, shouldn't we be really pushing back and saying, you know what, I know you don't like this, but you need to see it anyway? Have you thought about that? And what do you, <laughs> are you scared of losing followers? Or do you, are you concerned about losing followers um, no, not, on the IG front? Not at all. Not at all? <laughs> do you, not even <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you're kind of like you, you're laying down the, the groundwork that this is, is going to be more of this and expect more of it. And if you don't really care for it, you know, you can maybe unfollow it. But they're like, like really it's like, so if I were that person, there, it's not like there are no other feeds on Instagram where I can look at pretty pictures. Like we just said, there are 20 other feeds that kind of focus on the touristy kind of images that put Philly in the you know best possible light. What's the challenges of getting your images featured on one or more of those 20 feeds? Do you know? Um. I, I don't think it's that hard anymore. If you take a, a decent picture of a Philly landmark, you can get you can get featured. I mean, we're pretty mm-hmm. much the main feed, I think, that is doing uh, feature feed that is doing protesters, okay. um, things from the protest. I, I could be mm-hmm. wrong, um, but from what I've seen, it still it seems like obviously visit Philly is never going to cover. <laughs> They're not going to cover mm-hmm. the protest. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I haven't I haven't seen too many others. I've seen individuals with very popular feeds that still their own feeds, um, mm-hmm. you know, that have taken a more of a civil rights focus now. Yeah. Um, but no, no, none of the you know broader feeds that are just not not a personal feed. If that makes so sense. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's that makes complete sense. So, like going back to what we're seeing, you know, these these people and I use that term loosely, being, you know, installed in, you know, you and I worked on a project, you, you alluded to it at the top of the show, 
uh, the Philadelphia School Closing Photo Collective, which was spearheaded by a famed photographer, Zoe Strauss. She put out a call. People came to the rescue, and collectively we documented what schools of the 24 that that closed in what 2013, and then yeah. there there are a few what three actual shows that um, happened as a result of that, and it helped extend the conversation about what, you know, how these decisions made because they hurt marginalized people, how they hurt the city in general. And then we have this woman, Betsy DeVos, who is no friend of public education. Happen and how is that going to affect photography going forward? Do you about that? Um, yeah, well, I, I think we're going to see a lot more. We're probably going to be there's going to be more school closings to come. Unfortunately, I'm mm-hmm. thinking. You know, I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm. I have to say, I'm curious to see how her administration will, how her department that is going to play out because the Democrats, and you can't ignore that the Democrats have a huge role in spreading charters and are, and are largely have been, you know, we've had Democratic leadership in most of the big cities where we've seen most school closings like like Philly, like Chicago. So I don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to be more of the same or um, I think the thing that scares me most with her is the religious, religious aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but you know, I don't, I don't know. She doesn't. She just doesn't. I just kind of found it ironic that the Democrats were so united in opposing her when they. I feel that they have a large role in setting the stage for someone like her to take over. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I yeah. do think that there we have to be on on the alert for um, more things to, to cover with it because the bottom line with that is that also you know I don't. I'm out in the suburbs. You know, I'm um, just outside uh, the city in Montgomery County, and mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to be affected by it immediately. Um, the people out here, if we, if if she tries to do something in areas like this, they'll the people people here with resources, there'll be a lot of pushback um, mm-hmm. because the people are able to do so. So it's it's going to affect the, the poorer areas like everything else. They'll mm-hmm. they'll be affected first. <clears throat> And yes, we do have an obligation to cover it and to, to make yeah. sure and, and to help. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I really liked about being a part of the collective, and I you know, I want to get your thoughts about it also, was the fact that it really been it, it really kind of brought together folks who probably wouldn't have come together under other circumstances. Like, you know, there were women photographers that I never knew were out there. Um you know, I got a chance to meet Harvey Finkel, the great Harvey Finkel, you know, it's kind of like being, you know what I was saying? Like, you're like, wow, you know, this is the legend, right? And he's done so much work covering um, Philadelphia education over the years, using his, his, his photographic talents to, you know, to bring to light some, you know, a lot of the, the contentious issues around public education. Um, and then it was just... <laughs> Right, exactly. So you you have, um, you know, it, these things happen because of the collective. I mean, we had several articles be published in peer-reviewed journals as a result of this work. 
And then on top of that, the exhibits and the conversations and the online presence. And, and I think most importantly, there's this infrastructure that now exists so we can come back together, right? If something happens that is just monumental, we can come back together and mobilize fairly quickly and get out there and do something pretty large scale that gets the attention of people and, you know, puts this on the radar of people who just decide, ah, you know what, I'm not going to pay attention to that because that doesn't affect me. Well, it affects everyone. Public, you know, the health of public education is an indicator of the health of a city. <laughs> you know, if your public education Absolutely. system sucks, you know, chances are the city's probably not in better shape either. So, um, do you agree, like, do you, you agree that, the, that those are some of the positives that came out of that collective coming together? And what are your, some of your other thoughts on that um, in terms of what came out of the collective that was good? So many wonderful things. And I still see that there are different people from the collective um, who are working on different projects and using mm-hmm. the work that we did then. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, some, one of the other members will occasionally ask me you know, for permission to use some of the photos. They're still working mm-hmm. on things in, in journals and mm-hmm. uh, publishing articles related to it, which I thought was, you know, is great. Um, yeah. And I have to say, just with, with Harvey, um, because he's my cousin, it's interesting because I grew up, like, always, you know, I would go to some of his shows and I would always, I knew how, you know, this is, you know, my cousin Harvey, he's this great photographer. But I didn't, mm-hmm. until I became a part of this, this community, didn't really understand the importance of his work um, yeah. and the importance of, of coming together in a group like this and documenting things and working together. It was just um, an interesting journey for, for uh-huh. me. Um, uh-huh. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great that we have this. It's, um, yeah. We can easily still come together to build on it. So let me ask you, because this just popped into my head. Do you think that everyday Philly could be a springboard to something like that? maybe coming together as a collective around, say, another issue like law enforcement, which I know is a is a is an issue that I know you're very passionate about. You know, I, I don't know because I'm trying to put this, try to put this as diplomatically as possible. Um, okay. I see that there, <laughs> there are people that cover, that cover the process, that cover law enforcement, that um, I've seen them post these amazing pictures, and occasionally, you know, somebody, people will comment on them, this is terrible, why did you post this, and this is racist against white, this is reverse racism, all that we know that such a thing doesn't exist, but right. they try it, and the person will be like, well, I'm just documenting this, and oh. they're not taking a side, and that drives me insane, because this isn't, this isn't, Things aren't normal with this. This isn't something where you can just be impartial. A position of neutrality means that you're you're hurting the people who are being marginalized, who are being oppressed. You can't be neutral in situations like this. So, um, and I do think, um, I don't know personally many of the photographers um, on Everyday Philly. You know, you, I know, uh, Matt's family I've met because he was in the the School Closings Collective and a couple other people. Um, I know Zon a little bit, not in real life. He's awesome. Um, and though there are people, those people like that, and people like you, I know who are taking a stand. But some of the others, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if everybody has that commitment to 
if they feel strongly about the issues that they're covering or they just want to get good photos, good story, and kind of remain um, dispassionate and uh, neutral. Um, so, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I've, I'm actively seeking people. I'm interested in seeking people that want to take a stand. Yeah. Because I yeah. think it's necessary. Yeah, and that was what was beautiful about the collective. Like, the people who responded were folks who, you know, who had a range of, like, skills, and, you know, they would range from professional to um, hobbyists, enthusiasts, who were educators, who were, you know, who were involved in the school system and saw the value of using their camera, you know, to, to really shine a light on how really messed up this whole situation, that whole situation was. Um, so I think you're right. Like you have to have, you have to be willing to take a stand on, you know, on these issues because I think your work would then reflect that. Like you have to go beyond just saying, I'm just going to, you know, dispassionately document this, you know, this issue and not really bring my, position to bear on it because it really orients you to how you're making images um definitely but do you think do you think it would be a, a vehicle for organizing other photographers maybe like you have a following um you know i'm just thinking like we're gonna need to mobilize fairly quickly <laughs> if something oh, I would, pops off I would, you know what i mean i would Absolutely, I would love to, to to do that. And I mean, Kevin and I are both looking to have, um, eventually have some people who are regular. You, mm-hmm. we've already discussed that. You, you, I mean, you're the only person who's who's been featured who's taken over the page twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're looking for more people like that. And for anyone who, for anyone to do that, I want it to be somebody who also, obviously, they have to be a great photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want them to be somebody who's committed to the issues that they're covering and they care about mm-hmm. them. That, that's, mm-hmm. just, that's always going to be important to me. Yeah. So yeah. Um, if you're listening and you think you fit the bill, <laughs> you can also, you can, you can contact us. Let's take a minute right now to, for you to plug um, your various <laughs> <laughs> involvements. Give us uh, how you, how we can find you and uh, every everyday Philly on uh, Instagram and so forth. Um, we're everyday everyday Philly um, on Instagram. We are also everyday Philly on Facebook and everyday uh, underscore Philly on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. Instagram is Philly. Also, um, um, it's I G E R S underscore Philly mm-hmm. on. On Instagram, Instagram mm-hmm. is Philly on Facebook, and ideas underscore Philly on Twitter. And there's a, oh, own, there's also go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, no, I, I was just going to mention that the street there's a street hashtag i g e r s underscore Philly underscore street. And do you all yes. look at that or okay? All right, I just want to put that, that out was, there. Um, actually. That was actually um, uh, one of the admins, Ken, um, 365 Ken, who came up with that tag. And okay. we haven't promoted it. I think people overlook it. I used to look at it regularly. I have to admit, I don't look at it as much, but I would, okay. wouldn't mind if people used it. Okay. Preferred, preferably for some of their best in street photos, not street photos. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Which I think, 
you know, it's, it's, it's important to mention, you know, when people think about street photography, they think about what's happening in New York, they think about what's happening maybe in London, um, but Philly has, you know, has a lot of talented street shooters that, you know, um, you know, Sean Theodore is one that comes to mind. You know, he's doing phenomenal work. He has a show up at the African American Museum. Um, I know Sean. I have deep respect for his work. Um, we were actually kind of overlapping at one time in Germantown. You know, he was shooting. I was shooting. You know, we met up. We had great conversations. Um positive association came out of that but like people overlook Philadelphia when they think of street photography do you think that's the case yeah uh, yeah it seems like uh, you know people like everywhere we're out we're out shadowed a bit by, <laughs> by New York as usual mm-hmm. um yeah uh yeah I think I think we've gained a little bit over the last couple of years we're you know I think we have a pretty Pretty decent following. I haven't looked at some of the other uh, followings for East Coast cities for accounts like ours, um, but uh, you know, it, it's getting better. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's overlooked a lot. Um, <laughs> What's that? I'm not sure why. What's that? What did you say? I think it, we get. I think we get overshadowed. I think it overshadowed a lot the proximity to New York sometimes. But yeah. I mean, this is our city. Is is it's. I love Philly. I love Philly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for all its flaws, you know, Philly is just is tremendous. The people are tremendous. I just, you know, I love the city. Yeah. So where can people find it, you on the web? Critical of it. Yes, that's true. I agree. I, absolutely. Like if I, you know, if I were anywhere else, I'd be critical wherever else I was because I think it's important to, you know, use the lens to shine a light on, you know people who are affected by these things. It's easy to just say, well, I I don't see them. I'm plugging my ears. I don't want to hear that. But doing that does not make those people or issues disappear. They're still going to be there. So, you know. (laughs) So where can people find you on the web? Um, I I have my my personal Instagram account is Melissa period Hallman. Um, And I have not been posting that much lately. I'm trying to get back into posting. I think I've just kind of, my own focus became more on uh, connecting on Facebook with other activists uh-huh. and um, being in social justice groups and in the activist community there uh-huh. um, because uh-huh. it's easier to share articles and it's more of a platform for writing and interacting that way. So, uh-huh. but um, I'm trying to start using my feed again, um, my Instagram okay. feed, try to do that more regularly. So people should follow you even though you haven't been actively posting because they, that will happen soon. <laughs> well, I am, they should I anticipate. It's already happening. I mm-hmm. haven't posted. Okay. I haven't. I, yeah, I posted. I posted. Yeah, several times in the past couple of weeks. So yeah, that's going. I'm cool. going to be. If you follow me, I will be posting regularly. I promise. <laughs> cool. Cool. So, so I want to take this back to the law enforcement question because I know you know we're we're Facebook friends. And you, you, you have elevated the discourse on extrajudicial state-sanctioned violence against black and brown bodies. You know, you've taken the discourse to a level where I've been like, damn, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm just like, like, I was like, I should have had, you know, Melissa come 
when I was doing a racism is a sickness show, taking it around. <laughs> racism is a sickness show. Um, literally, it was a show. Um, taking it around, talking to people. Um, and one of the things that I found is that people just get uncomfortable talking about the police. You know what I mean? It's just like they hold the police up to this standard, this unrealistic standard that they somehow are exempt from being criticized, from being critiqued, from um, from citizens saying enough is enough. And the angle that I took was, you know, we, you know, we could at least prevent some of this violence because it's costing us so much money on the back end, paying, you know, settlements to people who have been harmed and or killed by the police. And, you know, a lot of a lot of outlets are beginning to do research and they're finding that it's a small number of cops who are doing the biggest amount of damage. Like, why can't we talk about that? Do you find that people just don't want to talk about it in that way? I, I find it it's not even just that they don't want to talk about it. I think people have a level of cognitive dissonance that is very hard. They they can't they can't reconcile it. It's 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 weird because you'll see people if you try and make uh, bring that up, and you'll talk about you know if you're talking about the murders, extrajudicial murders of black men and women, they'll say things like, "Well, what about they kill cops, kill white people too?" Well, they do, and but that's not why you're bringing this up because you don't care about that either. Um, right. They dis- disproportionately, obviously, disproportionately black men and women. But there yes. are um, white white men and white women who are killed by the police, and you don't care about that either. So that it's just it's very very frustrating. I think there's a level of indoctrination as well. Um, they and, and guess that goes to what I think about the cognitive dissonance. They've been taught all their lives that you know the police are good. They're here to serve and protect, and mm-hmm. they just don't they don't. I don't know what it is. They just cannot handle new information or they don't want to handle the new information that contradicts these things. Um, yeah. And this goes to something, this is a little bit of a tangent. You can bring me back in if you want. This is something um, okay. I talk about with my kids a lot because I think this stuff starts very young. Um, yes. my, my my son is in 10th grade. My daughter is in 3rd grade. And uh-huh. they've both been saying, just like I did, um, 49, I've been saying the Pledge of Allegiance since I was a kid. You know, since yeah. I was in kindergarten. And both of them decided early on, we talked about it, they didn't want to say it. And you just see that that's part of the indoctrination. My daughter's uh, school had a play, a very patriotic play last year that I wrote to the school about because I was with it. I didn't want her to participate in it. Um, and it was all about the military. And I'm like, this is, this is second grade. Why is this play? It was glamorizing the military. They were singing God Bless America, America the Beautiful, and I was like, I was very upset. And I think mm-hmm. that I wrote to school and I told them, I said, this sets the stage, and this was, you know, obviously pre, pre-election, um, but during the campaigning, I said, this sets the stage for people like Trump, for people to grow up and not question things like, like what Trump is saying. Yes. You know, you're indoctrinating kids. But that's what yes. the state schools are state-run, so there's mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. they weren't too happy with me. <laughs> but, they weren't um, too happy. They were nice to me. They were like, do you want to take her out of the show? And she decided she didn't want to, and we talked about it, and we, we made a Black Lives Matter T-shirt for her that she wore. Um, mm-hmm. And she threw up a black power sign throughout. I was so proud of her because she, did get, she didn't get direct pushback. She got a little passive-aggressive pushback from some people. Um, 
but I was really proud of her. Uh, she took, mm-hmm. she, she, you know, we talked about the risks of her taking a stand and, um, you know, she did it and she's, um, you know, she's very interested. She's very pretty. Both of my kids uh, are mm-hmm. pretty politically aware for their ages. And that goes back now, to your point about how they're taught, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, let me bring it back to, yeah, they're taught. Yeah. They're, we're indoctrinated from an early age. The cops are good. The cops are here to protect us. We, we're not taught that the, the cops have their origins in slave patrols. We're not taught that the cops have their origins in um, breaking up, you know, the initial union that was, you know, when mm-hmm. people started to organize. They're mm-hmm. here to protect property. They're not here to protect people, and they're here to protect the interests of the elite, and that has never ever changed. I mean, as they, I think they just came out, the, the FBI, there was a report about how much the KKK has infiltrated the police. And everybody I know who is black was like, yeah, and the sky is blue. Why are you telling us this? No kidding. Um. <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> it's funny. It's sad, but it's funny because you have, a, you have indoctrination on one side where children are taught that law enforcement is great and they're your friends and they help you and blah, blah, blah. But one of the things that I realized, I didn't realize this. It was reconfirmed for me when I was doing the Racism is a Sickness Project. I had two men, one white, one black, both around the same age, like late 20s, early 30s, maybe a little bit older, but kind of in that same 29 to 44 demographic. And they told I asked them both the same question about their first experience with law enforcement. And they gave me completely different answers about how they were taught, you know, how to interact with law enforcement, what to expect to happen with law enforcement. And of course the black man answered, you know, my, my father taught us, (laughs) you know, when you interact with law enforcement, you behave this way, you do this, you do that, no sudden movements, because you want to get out alive, right? You, you want to make it yeah. out of this interaction alive. And the white gentleman was like, oh, no, when we were kids, we were taught law enforcement was our friend, and we could do some really messed up stuff, and we would get patted on the head and tell, oh, they're just being kids, you know, just you know, good, clean fun and go home, you know, little Billy and, you know, don't do that <laughs> again. That hashtag, Prime and white white. Is that what it was? I can't remember what What's it was. That? But it was something Driving like that. You remember that? Yeah. There was a hashtag, Prime while white, where white people were yes. recounting all their stories of how the cops, like, like hey, don't worry yeah. about that. You, you crashed yeah. that car, you were driving under the influence, go on home. It's okay. Right. So basically, he gave me a Crime while white story. And it just, it, you know, it really just got under my skin, you know, and, and going back to your comment about the cognitive dissonance, right? This, this idea that my experience is the only experience. Therefore, anyone with a differing experience, I'm not listening to that. It's like, again, plugging the ears, nah, 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 nah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear that. Um, and I think that alone inhibits the conversation, the discourse. And then folks like us who are like, damn it, this is happening. And you need to pay attention, not because it's just happening to certain people, but because we are opening up the door by ignoring it to someone who's going to basically say, you know what, let's just spread the love across 
you know, all demographics. Eventually, this is going to catch up to all of us. So, like, for me, it's, yeah, I'm definitely concerned about black men, black women getting caught up with the police. But I'm also concerned that it opens the door to civil liberties being violated on all sides. And that's what we're seeing happening. And it pisses me off because people chose to ignore it because it was happening to a small, you know, a small percentage disproportionately, of course, but still it's like, well, we could choose to ignore that. But now it's like people are freaking out and I'm like, shit, we've been talking about this. I know I've been talking about it focused, you know, in a focused way since 2015. And it's like, damn, I predicted this shit was going to happen. <laughs> it was going <laughs> to open the door to someone like Trump because people chose to ignore the problem. And now this dude is on a happy, you know, tear with his executive orders. And our civil liberties are, are, are being eroded. And and we could have stopped this shit. So I don't know how yeah, much absolutely. the level of frustration is <laughs> at this point, you know, um, because I know you talk about it, you you know, we're on, on at least one other uh, social justice group. And it's like, you know, damn, how do, <laughs> what more needs to happen before people wake the fuck up? You know what I mean? So, yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I, it's, it's, yeah, it's disturbing. And uh, I, um, I mean, we're seeing people wake up. I just wonder what's going to happen um, if Trump is ousted, if somehow Democrats get rest power back. I don't know how that would happen. But um, I just feel like there's going to be people going to uh, to abandon the cause once it's just happening to uh, to black people again, to be to be honest. I mean, I hope I hope that it doesn't, but I think we see, you know, this is all what uh, Derek Bell called interest, interest convergence. When I was first exposed to that idea, like, I, I focus on that a lot. That's, that's all this is. And I just don't think the interest converge. I think once that disappears, so does the, uh, so does the interest in, in helping the other group, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. so that goes back to, you know, taking it back to photography, the upswing, the uptick of photos documenting things like the Women's March, you know, people feeling aggrieved about um, what Trump said, so on and so forth. But you're saying that if that issue gets resolved or it just goes away, they're not going to, they're not going to be in protest mode. They're not going to be in outrage mode. And we probably won't see more photos, more documentation, of outrage from a particular demographic? No, I don't. Because I, where were these people when, you know, Ayanna Stanley Jones was killed? Where were these mm. people um, when Pia Boyd were killed? Was killed? Um, yes. Sandra Bland, there's, there's so many, you know, so many, um, we want to talk about women and, and you know, white feminism. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they, that's, it's what it is. It's white feminism. They they are not concerned um with I, you just don't see those groups speaking out about the extrajudicial killings of black women, the uh-huh. oppression, um, the, the like with uh, I can't remember Holtzclaw I think his name the cop that he raped um, he, uh, he for once justice was served sort of 
Um, he was convicted oh. for raping a bunch of uh, several black women. And yes. where was the outrage from white feminists? Where there was there was none. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. I guess you know I I don't want to be I'm trying not to be too cynical, but um, yeah, I just you know we both felt this way. You know these things. My interest in these issues has long predated this this administration. So yes, um, and I do see a core group of of people in you know white people who have been concerned about this. But like I said, that that's a small core group, and I don't think they're mm-hmm. going anywhere. But they because they, right. they were already there. But these yeah. new people, I, you know, I don't know, and I don't want to discourage people. I don't want to sound like I'm being mean or uh, whatever, or you know. I don't know. I don't want to discourage people, but I still have a healthy level of cynicism about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. And to bring up the to 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 piggyback on the point in referencing you referenced Derek Bell, um, who I've read his work and and he you know you you referenced the idea of interest convergence. What's ironic about it is that <laughs> despite the fact that Many of these women who showed up at these marches on January 21st, many of them for the first time to protest what a man said, (laughs) I still showed up (laughs) with my camera and I documented because I thought it was important to show support to these women, not just because of how they felt, but because it was important to show that there were people who were showing up. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like this idea of interest convergence goes one way. (laughs) You know, it's 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 okay. Be interested in my struggle, but I'm not really interested in yours. Like, do you you know, do you does that make sense to you what I'm talking about? Like, I wasn't really put off. I mean, I okay, Yeah, I wasn't like Donald Trump is a clown right so i anything he says i'm like it's a he's clowning he's a he's an idiot like he doesn't even deserve the amount of attention that he's getting because guess what while he's talking shit there are people who are doing much worse and the outrage for me was that these women who raised about something that was said like you said didn't show up for the likes of Sandra Bland, who had nothing to say about Rakia Boer, who had nothing to say about many women who have been murdered by the cops, raped by the cops, like actually raped. <laughs> and then, like, yeah. you know, they don't show up. And so, like, how do you build solidarity when the entrance convergence seems to just happen? It's like a one-sided thing. Yeah, you know, what I mean? one way. Yeah, I so... I know you. You said you had a, a. I think you were. You wrote about an experience you had with someone on uh on Twitter. Yes. After the uh, yeah. women's march. I did. So <laughs> there was a couple things happened after the march. So I was out walking, um, Sunday night, the twenty second, and I was actually groped by a man. Okay. And so I wrote a piece about it and I framed it 
as a response to another piece that was written by a woman who I'm going to assume is not black on medium.com who basically took to task the women who didn't show up for the march. She was like, they should have showed up. You benefited from feminism, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, you know, I was groped. The groping would have happened if the march took place or not. Like slamming women who didn't show up for that march is ridiculous because you don't know why they didn't show up. You know, maybe they felt some kind of way that maybe they were engaged in social justice activism and your people didn't show up. You know what I'm saying? It could have been anything. Mm -hmm. So it's like slamming the women instead of like attacking the system that makes it okay for people like Donald Trump to say yes and people who grow like the guy who grew up to do the type of crap that he did and so on and so forth. You're missing the point. Like you're you're not even thinking clearly. So I wrote this piece on my website, um, and someone on Twitter came on and was like, "I was offended. I was hurt. Can we talk about this?" You know, she was like, "I'm sorry. I was, you know, I was. I, I I'm sorry this happened to you, but I feel I felt stereotyped. I felt." Like, you, you you don't know me. And I'm like, first of all, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> I was directing this to the person who wrote a piece, you know, on Medium.com. This was not directed to you specifically. It was directed to people like her who think who thinks it's okay to just, you know, pick and choose who they're going to call out around these issues. And if it offended you, mm-hmm. sorry, you know. And then I reposted it. Well, I actually wrote the piece on Facebook, then put it on my website. And then on Facebook, I had some folks, and you commented on it. I had some folks kind of trying to derail the conversation, talking about what happens in Singapore, or maybe we should crack down on crime in bad neighborhoods. And I'm like, here we go again. This is, this is the type of bullshit discourse that gets us nowhere, doesn't get us to the point of why this stuff is happening, why the forces that be want to keep us fragmented, and why perhaps, you know, bringing it back to the photography question, why some folks just decide, you know, I'm going to take pictures of pretty, you know, birds and trees and bridges and, you know, stained glass. Because it's, it's, it's easy to just check out. You know what I mean? It's just easy to just say, you know what, it ain't worth it. So, you know, bringing it back to the photography question, because we have about 20 minutes left, a little under 20 minutes left. Um, Do you think that the photos that will will be featured over the next, I mean, we're only three weeks into this man's term. Oh, my God. And it's just, you know. (laughs) I mean, like, I think I think a lot of it is geared towards just, get, you know, tiring people out, just like, making people oh, yeah, get tired. Purposeful. You know what I mean? You, just, you just check it. out. So my question to you is, do you, predict, do you predict that we will see a continued focus on photography that emphasizes 
protest resistance um, highlighting these issues? Or do you think that a lot of photographers who may have been doing this work will just say, you know what, I'm going to take a break. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I know I think about that. I won't take a break, but I think about it. So I know other folks are like, you know what, I need a break. And you hear a lot of talk about self-care, right? Self-care. You need to take care of yourself. And it's like, okay, so while I'm doing that, who's going to be doing the work of making sure that people see these images? Yeah. I don't know if I can trust that white people, and I use that term broadly, will pick up the mantle and, you know, carry forth. I don't know. What do you think? That's an interesting question because I think you'll have people who are going to continue to cover it um, or who are fairly new to it but are going to cover it but not necessarily going to cover it for the reasons we'd like to see it covered. They're going to cover it because it is something now that's getting likes as evidenced mm-hmm. by the fact that that was something we struggled with to get likes with, with uh, uh, protest photos prior to Trump and then the post-Trump uh, protest photos were the most popular ever on the page. And mm-hmm. um, so there are going to be people who do it for, um, I don't want to say the wrong reasons, but, yeah, probably the wrong reasons. And then there are people who will be encouraged to do it because they are getting a better response. And then there are always just going to be the core contingent who have been covering it and will continue to cover it. So overall, mm-hmm. yes, I think you'll definitely see more people covering it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, at this point, it's such a, it's just become part of our <laughs> daily existence to, I mean, all these things, I'm, you know, I follow all these sites where they summarize everything he's done at the end of the day. And, yeah. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, it's just, it's just so much. So I think, yes, it's, and it's affecting such a broad swath of people that, yeah, we're definitely going to see more coverage of it. Wow. Hopefully, you know, thoughtful coverage. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I mean, and even with that, like the image, you can develop fatigue from look like if you're a shooter, right, you're, you're not only just you're making your own images, but you're, you know, you're drawn to other photographers who are who kind of working in the same vein and you get burnt out just looking. It's like, damn, you know, like I was looking at um, was that you who posted up a link about Gordon Parks, a new book? Um, yes, I think it was you. Yeah. So I went and looked at that and there was a picture that he took of Malcolm X in 1963, of seven Negroes who were shot by the LAPD. (laughs) And I just Uh sat there, and I looked at this. I'm like, damn, 1963, here we are in 2017, and nothing has changed. (laughs) So it becomes a question of, it's like, damn, you know, I... (laughs) Is this getting through? Like, you know, part of being a photographer, obviously, you know, you're not just taking the pictures to highlight an issue. You're taking, you know, you're taking pictures because it's what you love to do. And you want people to admire and respect your work. But you also want them to develop a connection, reinforce a connection to the issues, to the people, to the places. And hopefully it transforms you some way, somehow. You know, I've had people say, you know, I had to look at my own preconceived notions because of your work. And that's great. But damn, like, I don't, I'm tired of seeing people losing their lives over stuff that we can fix. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like the police brutality problem, we can fix that. We can, we can like, you know, eliminate the police. <laughs> we can figure out another yeah. way. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and you talked about this yesterday. That that's just such a thing. I have I, that is one of my of the things that is, is of issues of interest to me. That is like the number one thing. Abolish the police. I just want people to remember that we don't need them. It doesn't mean that everybody can just we're not going to let dangerous people who are threat to public safety run free. It doesn't work like that. But there are other models. They exist, and it, it, it doesn't have to be like this. We can't reform the system. There's just no way. It's built on. It's 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 the police are doing what they're supposed to do. Their job is to oppress us, <laughs> and yeah. we have to we have to abolish them. There's nothing else we can. I'm not against band aids. I'm not against working for reform, but not the ultimate goal has to be dismantle to dismantle abolish the system. It does not work, and it's never going to work. I, yeah, and I. And it's going to be an uphill battle now because we have a cop, uh, not a cop, but a president who is very much pro-law enforcement, who is taking his marching orders from the fraternal order of police, literally. And, you know, like they're, I'm sure they're literally writing these executive orders for him. And Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, remember, I think we talked about this, the, uh, the FOP published in November the first 100 days of mm-hmm. what they wanted for the Trump presidency. And if you look yep. at it, it's tucked away. It didn't get a lot of coverage, but everything's starting to come to fruition. And it's really, mm-hmm. that document is chilling. And it's it's very, very scary. I mean, I, I would just at this point, I would be grateful to get back to the status quo level of injustice we were dealing with already. You know, it's yeah. already so bad. It's just hard to believe them, like longing for, you know, we're longing for this, you know, this other time when it wasn't that great either. But right. it's still better than now. Yeah, yeah, just, it is, is better than now. Too much. It, it's, it's very overwhelming. It's disturbing. And, you know, I'm really going to have to mull over this this concept of interest convergence as I um, contemplate what I'm going to be working on next um, in terms of my own personal work, because, you know, you see that happening, you know, not just in terms of, inter, you know, interracial lines, but you see it along class lines. You see it, you know, in terms of, you know, all these demarcations in society where people come together and they come apart and they don't know how to just see the humanity in other people who may not live like them, look like them, um, so on and so forth. It's It's going to be... Like for me, that's like one of the, one of the main issues. Like you have to see the humanity in people who may not be in your circle, look like you, think like you, eat like you, worship like you, or not. You know, you got to see the humanity. Else, we're gonna we're gonna be spinning our wheels. You know, that's really what drove me to do. You know, to pick up a camera in the first place. Um, so in the last 10 minutes of this um, conversation, Melissa, and I want to thank you again for being my guinea pig. <laughs> I've, been, um, I've been checking in on my social media, and people are listening. Um, they're not saying nothing, but they're listening. <laughs> like, 
I don't know what I was expecting, like all these callers, but I'm kind of glad it just allowed us to talk and have this conversation. I definitely want you to come on as a recurring guest and to, you know, update us on what's going on, on in the world of Instagram. And, um, and we were thinking about maybe like doing a joint interview with a photographer that was featured on, on everyday Philly. Like we're going to, play around with some ideas and come up with something that can be a regular format for this show. Because I think, you know, photography has been a powerful medium to get people to think about these issues. Like you think about the powerful images that came out of the Vietnam War, it got people to think about, rethink the whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. when they saw the brutality, you know, we've seen um, social media be a powerful medium for getting people to think about some of these issues. And I've, you know, you've done it, I've done it. And I believe photography is a way that can help promote healing. It's just a matter of like the, you know, Instagram, you can get inundated with a bunch of stuff. Um, yes. To get to the good stuff. And I like the idea that everyday Philly gets to the good stuff. <laughs> you know, when I get on everyday Philly, the page, I'm getting good stuff. I don't have to like yes. scroll through to find good stuff. I'm seeing quality photography and people need to follow this page, man. Everyday Philly on Instagram, <laughs> go follow it. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, we, we, Kevin and I have been thrilled. The quality of the work is just uh, tremendous. I love, yeah. absolutely love the stuff that you posted. And it's just, it, yeah, the quality has just been amazing. Great yeah. stories, great, great visuals, everything. It's just been, mm-hmm. you know, it's very, very much as we envisioned it, which I'm happy Yeah, about. I mean, it's just definitely, um, it's going to be more needed as we, you know, blindly, you know, stumble through this, you know, the first 100 days, you know, good Lord, it's only been three weeks, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> we're <laughs> we're limping along, you know what I mean? Like seventy nine more to go. Oh, oh my god, it's like oh god, but oh, but it's nice because you see people looking at the issues the same way. Who have you know those people who have opted in and said, you know, I'm going to shoot this. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to be watching. I'm going to shoot this. And you see people seeing stuff, seeing the signs, seeing the people, seeing, you know, the range of emotions and coming together and to document a body of work that kind of captures this really turbulent time as it's, uh, you know, as it's starting out. I mean, we, like you said, 79 days to go plus another <laughs> four years. Um so you all are doing good work. You and Kevin are doing excellent work. You know, I really appreciate having the opportunity to take over the feed twice. You know, it, it's, it's always fun. It's always nice for, you know, for stuff that I posted, you know, to have people comment on it weeks and months afterwards, you know, they're coming back and looking at it and they're commenting on it. They're seeing the personal connection to it they understand the issues that I'm trying to highlight through the images. And, you know, you see that on so much of the work that's, that's featured there. And I definitely want you to come back and so we can continue this conversation um, and maybe bring in some of the photographers that have, 
have taken over as well. And there have been how many? I know you sent me a list, but how many How many photographers have taken oh, over? Oh, my goodness. You know, it started the beginning, started last June. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, over 30. Um, it was a lot. Yeah, really it, was a, it was a pretty nice list. And, you know, some, some you know, really um, acclaimed photographers, some emerging folks, um, folks like me, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, um, you know, it's just oh, yeah, really an honor. Eric Mencher in, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, no, no, you yeah, go ahead. Eric Mencher, Zun Lee, we had mm-hmm. some really, uh, you know, big names, people we were thrilled to have take over. But it, actually, we were happy to have everybody um, yeah. who's been on has been has been fantastic. And I just give a little shout out to Roland Rexel. He's going to be taking over. He's my co-admin on Instagram or Philly, and he's taking over the Everyday Philly uh, feed this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited oh, okay. about that. Okay. So everybody who's listening or, you know, listening live or will listen to the podcast, this will be archived as a podcast, go follow Everyday Philly on Instagram. Do it now. <laughs> do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then, you know, follow Melissa dot Holman on Instagram as well. Kevin, is it Kevin C. Cook or Kevin Cook photo? Kevin Cook photo. Kevin Cook photo. He's got a great feed. Um, And while I'm plugging Instagram, follow Racism is a Sickness on Instagram. We are on Twitter as RMUS2015. Don't ask. (laughs) (laughs) That's where we are on, on, um, on Twitter. Um, I post a lot of content there. Um, we're on Facebook, um, Racism is a Sickness. The website is Racism is a Sickness, the Voices for Racial Healing. Website is VoicesForRacialHealing.com. Um, I'm your host, Tishka Smith. I'm glad to be doing this. This is like an invigorating kind of counterpunch to the work that I've been doing um, it's meant to be uplifting. It's meant to, to point people in the direction of things that are be, being done to counteract all of the BS that is coming down the pike. <laughs> and it's a lot of it. So um, I'm going to end this here. Melissa, did you have anything else to add um, I before I sign thank out? You. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing. It's so important. And I know it can, I mean, I can't, it's, it's a lot, like I said, it's a lot easier for me. I'm not, I'm white and um, it's harder and it's harder for you. It's, I'm not saying this very eloquently, but thank you for the work that you do because I know it, it can be very exhausting. It must be very, very, um, can be difficult and we appreciate it. It's needed. And I'm grateful for you, for people like you for, for doing well, this work. Thank you, Melissa. I am so, you know, I'm so glad that you had a chance to come on, that you agreed to come on as I, you know, this thing takes its maiden voyage um, out to wherever it's going to end up. I don't know. Um, but I am so grateful to you for those words. I am grateful that you acknowledge my work. Um, I do it because it needs to be done. And I don't know if I could sleep at night not doing anything. Um but it's so nice to be surrounded by people like you who get it and who are empowered to do the work that you're doing and the work that I'm going to be featuring over the next weeks on this show um, to really highlight 
how we can heal from oppression, baby. <laughs> we got. It's it's not enough to just talk about. It. We got to talk about healing because there's a lot of hurt people. Hurt people hurt yes. people, and it's a lot of people doing work to try to counteract that. And I want to thank you once again for coming on um, Melissa.Homan on Instagram, um, Everyday Philly on Instagram. Follow those accounts, and there are links in the description box for this uh, episode. Everyone, thank you. Have a great weekend. Share, follow the page for this broadcast. And um, see you later. I'm signing out. Thanks, (laughs) Melissa. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. All right. Bye. You too. Bye.